Okay. Well, when the kids are called out, the congregation really does shrink down. But bless you for staying and seeing it through. If you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me, please, to Luke's Gospel and Chapter 2. While you're turning there, next Sunday, December the 17th, as well as being the LCF Christmas brunch, which when I plumped for this Sunday, I obviously missed it. I should have chosen next Sunday to come and preach. But there we are. But next Sunday, December the 17th, it will be 120 years ago that Wilbur and Orville Wright walked four miles to Kitty Hawk to send that telegram to their father in Dayton, Ohio. It's difficult to read on the PowerPoint, but what it says is this, success. Four flights Thursday morning against 21 mile wind. Started from level with engine power alone. Average speed through the air, 31 miles. Longest, 57 seconds. Inform press, home Christmas. Now their sister Catherine took that telegram to the editor of the local newspaper in Dayton, Ohio. He heard the words, but he missed the point completely. Because glancing at what was before his eyes, he said, that's nice. The boys are going to be home at Christmas. He read the words, but never grasped the meaning. He missed the big picture that man had taken to the air. That flight was possible. That this was a defining moment. And that the age of air travel had begun. Now what that editor did 120 years ago, people do every single Christmas. They see the tinsel and the trappings, but they miss the big picture. Americans, according to statistics, spend over $40 billion dollars at Christmas on gifts and many of them saddle themselves with debt to do so. But giving is not the main news. Britons consume 16 million turkeys at Christmas. But gorging is not the big deal either. The real history changing event is found in two verses in the Bible. One in Matthew and one in Luke. Both spoken by angels, one to Joseph and the other to Mary. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, we read, the angel saying to Joseph, She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. 
Let's say that together. He will save his people. He will save his people. And the one before you in your Bibles in Luke chapter 2, look at verse 11. This time the angel speaking to the shepherds and says to them, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's say it together. Born this day a Savior. Born this day a Savior. The title of my message today is Jesus, our wonderful Savior. Because that's what Christmas is all about. The birth of a Savior. That title, Savior, is used 24 times in the New Testament. The related noun, salvation, comes 54 times. And the verb, to save, comes 96 times. That tells me that this theme of salvation, the Savior, what it means to be saved, is like a golden thread that runs throughout the New Testament from Matthew right the way through to Revelation. But what does it mean? If you took a microphone onto the streets and asked somebody, what does it mean to be saved? I'm sure they would describe the action of a goalie stopping the puck going into the net. Some might think of being disciplined enough to take their well-earned dollars to the credit union rather than to the mall. But in the original language of the New Testament, the Greek language, the word for save is sozo, and it carries three distinct meanings. And each one of them helps us understand why God sent Jesus into the world. He came to be a savior. He came to bring salvation. He came to save us. But what does it mean to be saved? First of all, to be saved means to be forgiven. Primarily and fundamentally, Jesus came to rescue us from the wrath and from the judgment of God himself. He came to be a sacrifice for sin. When the wise man came to him, they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold because he was a king, frankincense because he was divine, and myrrh because he was destined to die. There was a cross behind the cradle. Jesus came as a sacrifice for our sin. In his book, Redeeming the Past, writer David Siemens tells the story of a seven-year-old boy called Martin Turgeon, who on June the 5th, 1978, slipped off the wharf and fell into the Prairie River in Saskatchewan. A dozen or more adults, incredibly, stood round, watched him disappear under the water and left him to drown. None of them lifted a finger to help. Well, that got the attention of the press. And 
journalists came and interviewed some of them and said, why did you do nothing? And they said, well, just up the river, there's a plant that puts raw sewage in the water. That river is way too dirty to dive in, and we didn't want to know. So, in an attempt to preserve their own lives, they watched a seven-year-old boy lose his. But when we had fallen into the swirling water of sin, whose current was sure to pull us under and destroy us forever, Jesus did not stand idly by, but stripped himself of his divine privileges, laid aside the glory of his majesty, and dived into the polluted world to pursue you and me, to save us. To save us from our sin. He didn't just come to set an example about how we should live. He came to die on a cross as a sacrifice. Evangelist Ellis Crumb once said, He came to pay a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. Donald Carson, the theologian, put it like this. If our greatest need had been wealth, God would have sent a businessman. If our greatest need had been boredom, God would have sent an entertainer. If our greatest need had been for political stability, God would have sent a politician. If our greatest need had been health and fitness... He'd have sent a doctor and a trainer. But our greatest need was sin. So he sent a savior. According to John's gospel, if we forward fast 30 years, 33 years, the very last words that Jesus spoke on the cross were in English, it is finished. In the Greek language in which the New Testament's written, that's a single word, tetelestai, which interestingly was a commercial term. Archaeologists have found it written across bills from the ancient world that were cancelled when the account was settled, when the debt was paid. And this morning, because of the cradle which led to the cross, our debt is paid. Peter says, we have not been redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. What Jesus did on the cross was to cancel all our debt. Some years ago, the British television presenter Jeremy Vine was interviewing the singer Lionel Richie. And Lionel Richie was speaking about his background of poverty. He told about his father's own inability to manage money and how he, was, he just went from debt to debt and deeper and deeper into the hole. And then one year, 
Lionel Jr. decided to give his dad a gift he'd never forget. He presented it to him as a parcel wrapped up with layer after layer of paper. His dad excitedly ripped off all the layers of paper, down, 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 until eventually there was a small box. He opened the box and inside was an envelope. And as he opened the envelope, on it was a card that said, All debts paid. You mean you've paid off my credit card? Yes, Dad. Then I can work on my bank loan. That too has gone, Dad. All debts paid. Then I can work on paying off my car. No, it's already done, Dad. I've settled that debt. Then all I've got to do is finish my mortgage. No, Dad, I've done it. All debts paid. And that's what God did at the cross through the cradle. Thinking about that, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, he said that Jesus cancelled the record of debt. Interesting, the same picture that stood against us. That word cancel is an interesting word. Let, let me try and illustrate it. Here's my rap sheet. By the way, this is fabricated. Don't, don't ever think that you've asked somebody to preach that's wanted by the, by the police. Uh, stop looking at those crimes that are written there. This is how you and I stand before God. It's a record of our moral debt that we cannot clear no matter how hard we try but that Jesus, Paul said, cancelled it. Now there's two ways in which you can cancel the record like that. And the Greeks had two words that described both these means. The first was kiadzestai. And that meant to take a marker and put an X or a line through it. Just like that. Now that's good. But there's a problem with that. What's the problem? You can still see what I'm guilty of. Paul didn't use that word. He used another word. And this word was exalephine. That had a particular meaning back then. In fact, um, back then, ink was made out of water mixed with soot. And when you wrote on a, a parchment or, a, or paper, um, the ink came on but didn't bite into the paper like modern ink does. And so if you were sending that by a messenger for a long distance, there was a chance that it could get rained on or it might be dropped in a river or, 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 or the, the, the sea. And often when they got to the other side and opened it up, all the words had been washed away. And it was completely blank. 
And Paul says, that's what God did to the record of our sin. He exalated it. And this is what it means. It took it all away. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And that's why he came into the cradle to make it all possible. He totally removed it. Who we used to be is expunged. The record's purged. He's caused it to disappear. He's hit delete on it. It can never be found, recalled, remembered, or used against us ever again. To you is born this day a saviour. Because to be saved means to be forgiven. But there's a second meaning. And the second meaning is seen in that story of the woman with the issue of blood that came through the crowd at knee level, reaching out for Jesus. And she says, if I only touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. That verb, made well, is the same as saved. So, Jesus didn't just come to redeem us spiritually. He came also to redeem us physically. So our second point is to be saved means to be healed. It means to be forgiven and it means to be healed. In Jesus' day, when a doctor had prescribed an effective medicine that made a patient better, they were said to have saved them. Same word. And when a doctor had done that, when they'd cured a sick person, they were called a savior. The word sozo can be translated to save spiritually or to heal physically. So as well as coming to forgive our sin, Jesus came to heal our bodies. That's why there are 31 instances of healing recorded in the Gospels. Just about every day of his ministry, Jesus healed somebody. And John tells us that wasn't the sum total. He said if we were to write it all down, that the world wouldn't be able to contain the books. Sometimes those healings happened instantly. At other times it was gradual. Whether it was physical, emotional, or mental, a problem with a man, a woman, or a child. It could be a slave, or a free person, or a Jew, or a Gentile. And it didn't matter if it was a temporary illness or a permanent disease. Whether the sick person was right in front of them or miles away. Whether it was an individual or a whole crowd. Luke says in his gospel, chapter 6 and verse 19, he healed them all. Jesus didn't just come to attend to our spiritual need, he came to attend to our physical need. It happened then, and it can happen now. 
I knew a girl who had a, a, a severe back condition. She had an extra vertebrae in her spine and another that was cracked diagonally across. That resulted in her having an almost permanent slip disc. She missed weeks of school. She had to abandon the plans for her chosen career to be a nurse. And she spent many hours in medical appointments. Many treatments were tried, but neither traction nor osteopathic manipulation nor spinal injections did any good. Finally, the doctors gave her a steel corset to wear so it would keep her upright all the time and told her when she was 22 to come into hospital and stay for a whole year. They would do back surgery and put her in plaster for the first six months. And for the next six, they'd teach her how to walk again because she would lose that ability. And even then, they said, we can't guarantee success. Well, she was newly filled with the Holy Spirit. And a friend of hers, a pastor, said, could I pray with you? She was a bit cagey to start with, but eventually agreed. And what she experienced was totally unexpected. Because the moment he laid hands on her, she said it was like somebody plugged her into the socket. And she felt like a current going down her spine over and over and over. Great heat, great power, but nothing unpleasant. This went on for some minutes, and when the guy had finished praying for her, she took off her corset, she touched her toes, she did things she'd never been able to do for years. And when she was 22, instead of going into a hospital, she married me. That was Val. <laughs> you see, today is born in the city of David a healer. A savior from our sin and a healer of our sicknesses. Several Christmases ago, we were in Thunder Bay, Ontario, and I was teaching a school of the word and Val was speaking at their ladies' Christmas breakfast. One of the women in the church had brought her mother as a guest to that breakfast. And Val was giving her testimony, amongst other things, uh, as part of her talk, a talk on Christmas grace. This older lady, this mum, had had to sell her house and sell her car because she developed a particular condition the doctors couldn't explain. She couldn't walk in a straight line. She always veered to the right. And she needed the help of a walker. In fact, she couldn't walk anywhere without her walker. She also noticed that all her strength was gone. So she was put in a care home and confined to her room and the only thing that she could do really 
was to shuffle her way along to breakfast and back and lunch and back and supper and back. And that was her life. Anyway, her daughter brought her to this event and she heard Val give that testimony I've just shared with you. And she thought to herself, geez, wouldn't it be wonderful if God did that for me? Anyway, the meeting ended and she went back to her room. But a couple of weeks later, she'd just come back from breakfast. A knock came on the door. She opened the door and, and there was one of the healthcare aides. And he said, you've left this behind. And handed her a walker. Then she thought, well... If it was there and I'm here, how come? Then she realized that without thinking about it, she'd stood up and walked. And then she thought, in a minute, my strength's come back. And she realized that the cry of her heart in that service, wouldn't it be wonderful if God did that for me? He'd actually done it for her. Because for her was born that day a healer who is Christ, the Lord. We can be saved spiritually from the wrath and judgment of God through the forgiveness of our sin. And we can be saved physically through the healing of our bodies. But in Matthew 14, Peter takes the bold step of walking on the water in obedience to Jesus' command. He got a distance out, and then he started to sink. And he called out, Lord, save me. Same word. Peter was in a mess, and he needed rescuing from his circumstances. And that's the third meaning of this word, to save. To save from sin, to save from sickness, and to save from circumstances. When a general defeated a threatening army, they said he had saved his country. When a political leader averted economic disaster, they said he'd saved his nation. When a captain brought his ship through a bad storm, it was said that he'd saved his passengers. Because saved means to also be delivered from circumstances. And that's the third thing. To be saved means to be rescued. It's true for us too. Jesus can rescue us from our circumstances. My friend, Pastor Ken Peters, who's pastor of the East Congregation in Gateway, spent a, a whole year of his life in the Sudan. Occasionally, that meant going on a journey across the desert. And uh, on one of these journeys, the Land Rover that they were driving got stuck. The party had become lost. They'd got off the defiant track and the Land Rover got stuck and its wheels were spinning and it couldn't find traction. 
they quickly realized that this was a desperate situation. In fact, it was life-threatening because there was no cell phones back then and nobody knew where they were. They didn't even know where they were. And so they called out to God to help them. And then, apparently out of nowhere, this African appeared. And he told them to jump in the vehicle and to turn the wheel in a certain direction, which they did. But this time it found traction and got free. Then he pointed in a certain direction that that was the way they were to go. And when they got out to thank him, he disappeared. God had sent his angel to rescue them from their circumstances. Because that's what he does. To us is born a savior. Forgives our sickness, forgives our sin, heals our sickness, and can rescue us from our circumstances. Some years ago, our son David, who would be probably a 17 or 18 at the time, was in a vehicle with a friend of his. The friend was driving. They were on the Trans-Canada Highway late at night, coming back to Winnipeg from a youth camp in Ontario. They were traveling at high speed to get back as soon as possible, but the friend fell asleep at the wheel. And the vehicle shot off the carriageway. It turned over five times. And when the police came, the officer in charge told the constables, don't touch it, nobody can survive that crash. You better start getting the bags because we'll be picking up body parts from the highway. Well, when they eventually got to the vehicle... Both boys were hanging upside down in their seat belts, but completely fine. Not a scratch on them, not a single injury, and they were released and they were absolutely fine because God had rescued them from their circumstances. I wonder this morning how do you need a Savior? If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never asked him in to forgive your sin, the Bible says we are under the wrath of God and we are liable to his judgment. Not liable to it, certain of his judgment. But you can be forgiven this morning. You don't have to do penance. You don't have to learn scripture. You don't have to go on a pilgrimage. All you have to do is ask Jesus to wash away your sin like he washed away mine. Maybe your need this morning is physical. And he can heal you. And we want to pray for you. In that intervening time between finishing here and going to the wedding, we want to pray for you. Because the Savior has come to heal you. And maybe you're in circumstances and you just don't know what to do. And we want to stand with you and ask him to come and rescue you. May this Christmas we know that today is born for us a savior in all the fullness of what that means.
Well, Jen, is Jen here? 